0: really it's impossible to make decent or good decisions today if you don't know who you want to be tomorrow. Like if you don't know who you want to be in the future, and if you haven't defined your future self, then it's really difficult. I mean, you, if you don't know who you want to be in the future, then it really doesn't matter who you are today. It doesn't matter who you marry. It doesn't matter what job you have. And so in order to have an intentional life on a daily basis, in order to make big decisions, you've got to actually have a vision in mind of
1: who you want to be. Welcome back to another episode of the Millionaires Unveiled podcast. This is episode 138. Clark, how's it going? What's going on in your world? Good. How are you doing? Anything new? Not a whole lot. You got some family in town? Yeah, we've had family in town this last week and, uh, just, I think getting ready for, for your trip out here to Austin. We got to get, you know, reservations for everything and get everything planned. So getting excited for that and, you know, I hope we, we make it there. Yeah, no kidding. I've canceled everything this summer. Our, all our other trips, we've had to cancel and uh, probably didn't try to reschedule and go to some different places and maybe drive to a couple different places. But yeah, it's been quite a, quite a wild summer already what about for y'all yeah, that
2: that that'll be fun because that'll be the first time we need to schedule an episode so somebody needs to reach out and say i want to come on the show because then we can schedule an episode to record
1: together that'd be the first time yeah that'd be, that'd fun. be fun dude It'd in be my fun. home studio <laughs> <laughs>
2: So, so we're gonna be on we're gonna be on an episode here on a, a podcast in the next little bit where the theme is what are the ten things you've learned from interviewing all these millionaires? And I estimate, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, we've this will be the hundred and thirty eighth episode. We probably have, I don't know, fifteen or so right in backlog that are all millionaire interviews. So that puts it at let's call it one fifty, and maybe there's been fifteen episodes or so where we've done recaps or had a guest or somebody wasn't quite a millionaire. So I think we've probably interviewed, I don't know, 135 or so millionaires. Is that fair to say?
1: Yeah. I mean, even most of our guests, in fact, I think nearly all of them are millionaires too. We just don't get into all all the details of their net worth and everything else. Typically when we brought a guest on, they've been a subject matter expert in some other area and that's kind of what we've concentrated on.
2: Right. So so as we thought, the, the they reached out to us and said, hey, come on the show, and, and the theme will be 10 things you've learned from interviewing these millionaires. So as, as we were working on this and thought, okay, we've interviewed 130, 150, whatever it is, millionaires, right? What are the 10 things that have really stood out to us? And one of the things is attitude, right, and intentionality. And I think we talk about that a lot, and if you listen to the show, you notice that a lot. And so we thought it would be a good idea to bring on somebody, and this is a little bit of a a different guest interview than we've typically had because it's not necessarily a financial matter expert, but we thought it would be interesting to bring somebody on who kind of can dive in to that personality and to that drive and willpower and mindset, right? And so that's that's what we're going to have on today is a little bit of a different interview with Ben Hardy.
1: Yeah, and I think... You know, you bring up these 10 things and and we were discussing some of this uh, over the last few weeks. A few of these things are really more so between the years in terms of mindset and intentionality like you mentioned in getting to that millionaire mark and doing things on the day-to-day that create habits And, and Ben with his background in psychology and organizational behavior and stuff. You know, he's written Willpower Doesn't Work and the other book that he's releasing here shortly is Personality Isn't Permanent. And he goes into the personality that, you know, we have these personalities, but for the longest time, companies have relied on these personality tests to decide, like, is this person a good fit for our organization? Are they going to be able to fit with our organization? Are they going to be able to make it work in terms of their job performance based on their personality? And Ben's done all this research, and and contrarian saying, look, somebody's personality it. Maybe say 25 years old could change to when they're 35 years old or 45 years old, and it's really interesting. To take and the interview that we do with him really makes you think and changes your outlook on how that relates to then being a millionaire. And, and Clark and I have seen this a lot with so many of our millionaires that they have these monumental life shifts almost, and it could be by decade, it could be by financial milestone but they change the way that they look at the world and the way that things matter to them as they progress.
2: Yeah, really good. So personality isn't permanent. So that's today's show and, and just so everybody knows, we're not getting paid or we're not yeah, you know, we're not getting paid by him to promote something. You're not paying us to be on the show. None of our guests are. We've never done that. We probably never will. You know, we felt like it would be a good episode and so that's the goal is for the episodes that when we don't have a millionaire, we're trying to bring on a subject matter expert that will tie into what we're doing. And so that's what we thought here with Ben, but also had a great uh, episode last week with Mark, right? He just released a book, dad's little book of wisdom, a guide for young professionals to achieve more, earn more and live a good life. And that's available on Amazon presale. Now we've gotten to know Mark a little bit. He's a really good guy. So check out that interview. and, And the link to that book is in the show notes, episode 137 of last week. Thanks again to everybody tuning into the podcast. If you enjoyed, I know many of you have, we get some five star reviews. So if you, if you learn something, if you're engaging with these millionaires, if you're taking something away that you didn't know before, we appreciate you leaving a five star review. It helps us grow the show and reach new millionaire intervie- interviewees that we can all learn from and benefit from. So thanks for doing that. Thanks for listening and hope everybody is staying safe and healthy. So without any further delay, please help me welcome
1: Ben to the show. Ben, do you want to just give us a little bit about your background and kind of what you're up to now?
0: Yeah, so my wife and I, we live in Orlando, Florida. We've got five kids, actually one on the way. So last year I graduated with my PhD in organizational psychology, and I'm a writer. I've got a book coming out called Personality Isn't Permanent. And yeah, I was a top writer in the world for a couple years on Medium.com, and learned how to get millions and millions of views, and have written a few books, and now just kind of living a simple life with in Orlando. We're here because my wife's a huge Disney buff. But yeah, it's kind of a really. (laughs) elevator pitch of who I am. Yeah, no, it's awesome.
1: <laughs> Simple life with five kids and a, and a sixth on the way. Is that what you said? Yeah. That's wild, man. So you you got your hands full. We do.
0: Yeah. Well, I mean, some of the craziness of it all is we actually adopted the first three. We adopted them from the foster system. We got them during the first year of my PhD program. Weren't sure if we were going to adopt them because the foster system was pretty opposed to us adopting. And there was a really great attorney who just was the best at adoption Ultimately, some of the laws in South Carolina had to be changed, but we were able to adopt our kids, and then a month later, my wife got pregnant with twins. So it was kind of a in 2018, we adopted three kids and had twins. It was a little bit of a wild year, but we decided to move here to Florida, and because my wife's a big Disney buff, and now we're just we're kind of settled.
1: That's awesome. So I want to I want to get into your, to your new book, but for our listeners, can you just kind of give a brief synopsis of, of- one, how you got into writing and kind of your thought process and, and kind of choosing this career. and then two get into some of the other books, and just give a brief synopsis on the on those as well.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So I grew up in a kind of a crazy situation, crazy life. My parents got divorced when I was eleven, and my you know the divorce just kind of threw my parents in crazy directions. My father became an like an extreme drug addict. and i we, we were I'm the oldest of three boys, and so we were living at his house, but it got to the point where it was just too kind of dangerous to be there. Uh, there were literally drugs everywhere. Uh, I mean, it, pretty much anything and everything you could think of. And it started to get to the point where there was just lots of really weird people at my house all the time. And so we, we had to kind of remove ourselves from the situation. And, uh, you know, ultimately, I ended up, I'm not even sure how looking back graduating from high school, because there was just zero stability in my life for a lot of years. But I grew up with faith in God. And so ultimately, I ended up going on a church mission. You know, I'm part of the Latter-day Saint Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. And so I ended up serving a two-year mission. And that's really where my life changed, you know, insanely. Yeah, I mean, that was the really the experience that got me interested in writing. Uh, I, I, I went on that experience because I kind of just wanted a different life. I grew up in the church, even though I hadn't gone for years, but decided to go on that mission and just flipped. Like as a person, I was in a new role, new environment, had a purpose, had great leaders, started reading books, started journaling, and just kind of got really into it. Just my life changed crazy. And that's kind of, that's really the thing that got me to psychology, not all the trauma, not all the baggage from the past, but actually watching how fast my life could change. And I was reading good books. I was reading all sorts of so just good stuff. And just thought I kind of wanted to be a writer. Like, I, you know, I I was journaling on my mission probably an hour a day, just kind of dumping thoughts, you know, writing experiences. And I was just learning how to write and learning how to get into flow and learning how to just, I was just enjoying it. Like I'm, you know, as a missionary, you have like lunch breaks and things like that. And so, I mean, I was just, I would just sit and write and it just would just flow out of me, stream of consciousness. And so I was, I just really enjoyed it. And so I thought I'm going to do this. And so I decided to come home and study psychology. And yeah, then in 2000, 15 so i had been you know i got home in 2010 from that experience in 2015 i kind of just finally decided to just start doing it i started studying how to how to actually become a professional writer learned that i had to get hundreds of thousands of email subscribers if i wanted to actually become a professional and that's what i wanted to be i wanted to write for the big new york firm you know big big new york publishing houses i wanted to be like i didn't i mean i was i've got nothing wrong with self-publishing and things like that like i've self-published books of my own but i I wanted to be like a professional writer, like just writing for the big firms and making good money and being able to provide for my family. And I think the thing that pushed me over the edge was becoming a foster parent. You know, in 2015, we got our three kids and I felt like this urgency. So I started studying it and started writing because I just knew time was going to go past. And so then that's what happened. I started blogging on medium.com and it was pretty fast. You know, I mean, I was only a few months before I was the top writer on the platform. And then for the next three years, I just dominated the platform. And, you know, my email subscribe, I mean, I was able to get hundreds of 1000s of emails, but it was just a really good journey. You know, I mean, I, uh, I got a lot of mentoring along the way invested a lot in on, you know, online courses, I'm a big believer in education and learning. And so when I decided I wanted to be, you know, when I finally decided, like, I'm going to go for this, I mean, I started buying online courses, started getting mentoring, started getting coaching. I mean, I, even though we're making like zero money as graduate students, I'm like, I'm a big believer in getting mentoring and learning. And so I just kind of went for it.
1: That's awesome. So one of your most famous books that you've written so far is willpower doesn't work. Can you just give maybe, I don't know, 32nd or minute elevator pitch of what that book's about for our listeners who might not, not have heard about it yet.
0: Yeah. I wrote willpower doesn't work uh, because I've watched a lot of people, a lot of people try to change their lives. And even if they're insanely talented or, you know, have the best of, best of heart ambitions. They just can't do it. You know, and obviously I come from a background of addiction. And so I've spent a lot of time studying addiction and and anyone who's really made it past an addiction would very much invite you to not try to do it through willpower. <laughs> like, you know, at some point, you, like from an Alcoholics Anonymous perspective, you got to surrender obviously to God, but you've got to, you know, even if you don't believe in God, you've got to surrender to other people. So there's a good, like a really good quote in in, in the addiction world that, The opposite of addiction is not sobriety. The opposite of addiction is connection. And at some point or another, you've got to seek help. And that's true, not just of addiction, but, of you know, in general, trying to improve your life. You know, if you're wanting me as an example, if I wanted to become a professional writer, like I had to start getting help from mentors and other people. So, um, the thing that tipped me over the edge to write the book was getting the foster kids. When you take three kids from a really limiting situation, you know, our kids had zero, like they, they weren't taken to school. Their parents were high on drugs. Like they, uh, They were just out in the middle of nowhere, you know, and like they were, they were just in front of the TV all day and like no amount of effort in of these kids was going to produce good results. Like they were just, they were in a limiting situation. And when you put them in a new environment, you've got all these new choices and options. And so the book's really about context and environment and about how in like Western culture here in America, like we're so individualistic that we think that we're the cause of our success. Like you and I, we wouldn't be able to have this conversation if we lived a hundred years ago. So it's like, the environment sets us up that we've got more choices and options. And so this book's just ab- about how to create your own environment, how to surround yourself with the right types of people, how to eliminate the negative forces kind of keeping you stuck because you really can't make permanent change without also changing your environment. Uh, so that's really what the book's all about, is if you're trying to do it by yourself through willpower, you're, you're not going to get very far. So instead, you should focus on the context around you, surround yourself with the right people, but also set up situations. You know, there's a good quote from William Durant. He said, Basically, the ability of the average person could be doubled if the situation demanded it. So like, as an example, when we became foster parents, never been parents before, we were required to do a lot of stuff we'd never done before, <laughs> like required to learn how to help these three kids with emotional issues, like learn how to be patient, learn how to love these kids. We would not have never even tried to learn those skills if we weren't in a situation that required us to do so. You know, and my mission did the same thing for me. It was a situation that required me to be someone different. So it's just a book about setting up context and situations so that you can become the best you want to be.
2: Yeah, I really like that. So let's talk about it just a little bit. I think it's really interesting. And then we'll get into the to the personality book. So if it's not willpower, one of the things you obviously mentioned is environment, right? Creating kind of putting yourself in that environment to succeed. So if it is an addiction or something that people are trying to change, whether it's trying to be successful or change a habit or change an addiction or improve in this way or that way, is the biggest thing for them? Their environment is the biggest thing changing their environment, changing their surroundings? It's two things.
0: I mean, ultimately, they have to make the decision to, to make the change. But the only way for that decision to be sustained is through being in better environments. And sometimes it's by putting yourself in better environments that you can actually make that decision. You know, so it's both. You've got to make an internal decision, but you ha- you also ultimately need a better environment. You know, if you're going to try to overcome a drug addiction, you can't keep going to the bar or you can't keep going to it. Like, you, you've got to remove yourself. From from the, right. from the you, you you can't do it. There's a good quote that basically says your input shapes your outlook. Um, and so if you keep getting the wrong inputs, you know you're you're not going to be able to make that shift. You ultimately have to get around people who will support your future self rather than the people who are trying to keep you the person you are right now. But one of the one of the big things about this, there's a quote from Clayton Christensen. He he recently died, but he was a Harvard business professor, and he said that 100% commitment is easier than 98% commitment. And this this actually makes a lot of sense with willpower, because Let's just say you're 98% committed to to overcoming an addiction, right? I mean, or even just like 98% committed to a diet. The problem with 98% commitment, and it's, I mean, I'm not telling everyone that you have to like go hardcore on everything. But if you're only 98% decided on something, what it means is that in every future scenario you're in, you have to make a decision. You know, so let's just say with the diet, you know, you're trying to go sugar free. If you're 98% committed in every future scenario, you have to make a choice. Is this one of those situations where I'm going to do it or not? And that back and forth decision making process is called decision fatigue. Uh, like, so decision fatigue is actually another description of willpower. But a big problem with this is, first off, in every future situation you're in, you you actually don't know what the outcome is going to be. You know, you don't know what what if this you, you're not confident that in stepping out of the situation, you are going to stick to the diet because it may be one of those situations where. You know, you're going to, you know, it, it's like your favorite dessert or what, what, whatnot. Who knows? Or it's just like a great occasion. That's the problem with this approach. First off, usually the situation wins. Uh, that, I mean, willpower fails to situations more than it succeeds to situations, but also it creates kind of a confusion of your identity. And, uh, ultimately you have to keep making choices over and over and over in every situation, which is just bad for decision-making. It's also bad for confidence and stuff like that. So what, what Michael Jordan said is, is once I made, and this is a really great quote, he said, when, whenever I made a decision, I never thought about it again. And that's really kind of the goal is that you make one decision and then you don't have to think about it anymore because the decision's been made. You don't have to deal with decision fatigues. You don't have to deal with willpower depletion, but Mm. obviously in order for the decision to stick. You've got to design around that decision. You've got to create an environment so that it's supported.
2: So let's talk decision making real quick, just because I think you bring up good points. I really like that quote by, by Jordan. So if it's not necessarily related to an addiction or a struggle, right? Decision making is obviously extremely important. And, and when somebody is faced with that, right? We make, we all make thousands of decisions every day, but obviously some are more important than others. And when you get into an extremely important decision, like, where to move, or choosing between jobs or who to marry or what to spend money on, right? Some of these bigger, maybe more important decisions. how How does one frame their mind there? Is it just making sure you're initially in the right frame set and then thinking about the pluses and negatives? what 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 advice do you have for someone in these bigger situations? I mean, obvi- obviously obviously no, no, a I, huge I, decision too. I, yeah. I'm totally with you there. I'm just thinking yeah, I of share it. some of my thoughts
0: on huge decisions. I mean, I think on a decision, fatigue perspective, I would say it's powerful to make less and less decisions on a daily basis. Um, there's a book called, and I'll I'll share my thoughts on making massive choices, um, but we make, you're right, thousands of decisions a day. And there's a book called The Paradox of Choice, which essentially says that most of the options out there are not necessarily good options. And you actually want to be, uh, I talk about it in Personalities of Permanent as strategically ignorant, you want to be ignorant of most of the things out there because most of them are distractions to whatever you're trying to be. So the cool, I mean, the essential aspect of making decisions is eliminating options, you know, eliminating the option, for example, to jump on Twitter on your phone because you've just removed the app. You made one decision so you don't have to think about it again. And also just knowing that like, you know, you want to just remove options. I mean, as an entrepreneur, I have a lot of people on my team, just for an example, the person who scheduled this podcast, I didn't have to make that decision because I didn't want to have to, you know, it's, it's just removing complexity. And when you remove complexity, you can increase motivation. But as far as kind of the the massive decisions, I think you have to really get clear on your future self. Like there's a lot of research in the realm of psychology now on the subject of future self. I'd point your listeners to this, the really simple TED talk. It's about six minutes long, just as a primer. It's called The Psychology of Your Future Self by Daniel Gilbert. He's a Harvard psychologist. He's one of many people who've been studying this idea. And really, it's impossible to make decent or good decisions today if you don't know who you want to be tomorrow. Um, Like, if you don't know who you want to be in the future, if you haven't defined your future self, then it's really difficult. I mean, you if you don't know who you want to be in the future, then it really doesn't matter who you are today. It doesn't matter who you marry. It doesn't matter what job you have. And so in order to have an intentional life, on a daily basis in order to make big decisions, you've got to actually have a vision in mind of who you want to be. I mean, you know, and so you have to define your future self you have. And and that obviously takes a lot of internal work. I would point to journaling and studying and, you know, having experiences, you, you know, but you, even now anyone listening to this would have some form of a future self. I mean, they're listening to this podcast because they want to be financially successful. And so, you know, Daniel Gilbert, he, he first asks people, are you the same person you were 10 years ago? You know, just asking about your former self. Most people say, no, I'm not the exact same person I was 10 years ago. But the problem that most people face is, is that they think that in 10 years from now, they're going to be pretty much the same person they are today. <laughs> so most people can see that they've actually changed a lot in the past, but they actually don't think they're going to change that much in the future. And so that doesn't lead. And so what what people do is, is they don't spend much time imagining their future self. They don't spend much time making decisions. Your future self isn't someone you discover, it's someone you decide to be. It's like, who do I, I decided to be a writer. You know, I didn't, I I didn't discover this about myself. I chose this path. You, You two chose to be podcasters. And so, you know, anyone listening to this can choose a situation for themselves in the future, you know, whether it's real estate or whatever they're listening to this podcast for, you have to make a choice. Who do you want to be in the future? And what does that actually look like? And so once you've defined that, then you can make decisions about what would likely get you there. The goal is the thing that shapes the process. And you know that's that was very heavily influential for me. I mean when I was going to school, I was dating, looking to get married, but I had a pretty clear vision in my mind about the type of life I wanted to have and in order for me to have that type of life, I had to marry a certain type of person. And so, you know, I had to say no to a lot of amazing people because I was looking for someone who who would help me become the type of person I wanted to be and and vice versa. And so You can't make good decisions if you don't know where those decisions are going to go. And obviously you're not going to make perfect, perfect decisions, but you can pivot them. But without a clear vision of who you want to be in the future, you can't make good decisions about who you want to marry or the type of job you have or the type of opportunities you're going to jump into because your vision for the, so there's a concept, you know, that, um, Malcolm Gladwell popularized. He popularized the idea of the 10,000 hour rule, which actually isn't a rule. You could actually do something for 10,000 hours and not get any better at it. Uh, it really comes from the research. On What's called deliberate practice and what deliberate practice means is that you're actually working towards a goal and you're getting feedback along the way and like you're essentially acting towards a future self. You can't have deliberate practice without working towards a future self. So if you're like going to the gym and you're you have a very specific goal, then your workouts would be targeted towards that goal. And so you can't actually go through a transformation process without having a goal.
1: Definitely interesting, Ben. And, you know, you bring up something that I kind of want to get into leading into the book that you're about to release here in June, Personality Isn't Permanent. You you start off in the book with this story about your wife and how you guys are different personality codes. Can you just give our listeners a little bit about that story and kind of the ironic you know, I guess description of, of what you describe in the book there. And then that'll kind of lead into to what I want to discuss in, in your new book.
0: Happy to, yeah. So I was, you know, we went to BYU, Brigham Young University, and uh, there's such a popular test when we were going there that was called the color code. And and honestly, there's so many other top popular personality tests. That test pales in comparison to bigger tests like Myers Briggs and Egram, etc. But It's hilarious, really. And I actually liked the test, but that was kind of before I actually got a deep dive education into psychology and really how it all works. Anyways, my wife and I was totally attracted to her the first time I saw her, you know, we were in a psychology class together, and I was just totally drawn to her. But anyways, it took a while and we eventually started dating. But her family was really big on this personality test called the color code. And like, my it's important to realize my wife had actually previously been married before me. Uh, she's a few years older than me. She had been married. She was she got married when she was like nineteen years old. She was in a really abusive marriage. Like married some guy who like looked great on paper, but like there was a lot of ghosts in the closet or whatnot. Um, and so he was abusive in all forms, and she was in that marriage for about three years, and it just totally turned her into a shell of herself. Just destroyed her. And eventually, she got out of that situation and traveled the world for like a year. Ended up serving a church mission herself. And I met her. And anyways, I was the first person she actually dated after that episode. Anyways, a few years after that episode. But anyways, how Lauren would be scored on this personality test, and I don't even actually know if this is how she would score herself if she took the test today, but how her family thought of her and how she had scored herself was, is that she was a red. You know, so I'll just quickly give like an explanation of the tests, but like this test breaks people up into four categories. If you're a red, you're essentially like a type A, go, go, go if you're a blue, you're, you're like relationship based, you're, you know, if you're a white, you're, you're kind of like a thoughtful dreamer type person, you know, kind of passive. And then you're, if you're a yellow, you're like a total extrovert, just got to be around people, always the center of attention. Like that's essentially how the personality test breaks people up. But anyways, Lauren was a red, her whole family kind of viewed themselves as reds for the most part. Her ex-husband had been a red. And so they were asking, you know, like, you know, when me and her start dating, you know, what, what's what been on the color code, you know, and I turns out I was what was called a white. And like from the perspective of that test, whites are kind of pushovers. They're passive. They're just floaters, um, not really ambitious. And their main concern, and they were very concerned when they found this out, was that because Lauren had been in such an abusive marriage, She had become she had, you know, in that what's interesting is, honestly, if she had taken a personality test while she was in that marriage, she probably would have been who knows what, you know, your, your personality gets pretty messed up in certain situations. But she had become so passive in that situation because her husband was so domineering and she essentially lost her soul or her personality. That her parents thought that she was, she no longer wanted to put herself in a situation where she'd be dominated again. And so they, they thought, oh my gosh, she's dating this white guy because she needs to dominate the situation because he's not going to do anything because he's a passive white. And so they were, they were very convinced that she shouldn't go this path and that it was, that she was overcompensating for kind of a traumatic prior marriage. And so they were like, you can't marry this guy. You can't marry a white. You need a real man. Like you need, you need someone who, who can step up? And so that, and so honestly, that was the situation, you know, and, and they, uh, you know, and it, and they were nice. It's not like they, but the one of the, obviously the big problems with these tests is that you see people from such a singular dimension that you don't actually really see the person. So anyways, she had to eventually make a choice and kind of, it was a leap of faith, but she married a white, I guess you could say, even though I wouldn't really <laughs> conceptualize myself. I wouldn't really conceptualize myself that way, you know, and I, if I took the test today, who knows what I'd get, but, i you know, that that was a hilarious story and also a true story. And it's also a story of kind of some of the problems with these tests that, you know, they I mean, obviously, it's you can come kind of get a little bit of perspective on someone maybe, but I thought the whole situation was funny because I mean, the freaking path or the past that I'd overcome was enormous. And also the future that I had that I was moving towards with aggressiveness was huge. And so I thought it was quite funny, really, and very narrow sided.
1: Totally, I, I'm glad you shared that story. I, I I find some humor in it as well because there's a lot fam- of humor
0: in it. It's oh funny. yeah, and funny my family's
1: heck. been big in the the color code, and we always joke about it that we've got a bunch of reds running around, all trying to r- run each other, and all sorts of stuff. So so your book, personality isn't permanent, debunks the pervasive myths of personality that that po- captured pop culture. What are some of those common myths of personality?
0: I'd say the most dominant ones are that personality is innate. And that it's unchangeable and that it's something that you've got to discover. And then once you finally discover it, you can then build your life around that personality. The research is just clear that your personality is not permanent. <laughs> you know, basically basically they've done lo- like what's called longitudinal research these days, where they'll study a certain population and then a couple years later, or a couple decades later, they'll restudy that same population. You know, and so they've tested people's personalities and then retested them up to 70 years later. And none of these people have the same personality, you know, as they did when they were kids or when they were teens or when they were in their 20s. I mean, your personality in a lot of ways is based on the role or the situation you're in. You know, as a parent, you're going to, you know, in one role, as an example, maybe you as a podcast host is going to be a little different than when you go back home to your kids. You know, like in your your role predicts your personality, but also the, you know, the stage of life you're in. And I mean, there's so many other aspects to it. I mean, even traumatic experiences can shape who you are and so there's just a lot of research now kind of just showing that personality is a lot more flexible, but also there's a lot of research showing that like almost every single person in the world would love to change aspects of who they are, whether that be to become more social, more confident, more creative. I mean, we all want to improve ourselves, but if, you re- if you're led to believe that you can't change who you are and you should just figure it out, just find who you are so that then you can walk your path. It's a very limiting view that I think a lot of people have, and, and it just doesn't really reflect the science. But because people are taught that they've got to discover themselves, this is one of the reasons why personality tests are so popular. It's because that's kind of a, a fast food version of discovering yourself.
2: Yeah, totally. And there's so many, as you mentioned here, there's so many personality tests out there, right? And and even when, like during job interviews, they, people do personality tests to see it and make sure tr- or try and make sure, right, that people fit in. But I feel like they can kind of be manipulated a little bit. <laughs> definitely yep so so why is it then just high level here why is it why is it so important right if I if I figure out my personality if I figure out yours or you figure out yours and and, and I kind of understand hey how, how has this influenced me and this is what I think I am or this is you know here's who I am as a person why, why is it so important How how can I take that information then and then go and have it influence my life and my future
0: I just don't really know if that's really that important, to be honest with you. I think um, I'm going to read a quote to you, actually, and then I'm going to go into the research on future self, really. But there's a quote, like, honestly, my so my grand my grandfather died a couple of years ago and uh, my younger brother's currently going through some struggles with his own addictions right now. But my dad, and by the way, just for quick context, my dad's no longer a drug addict. He actually overcame all that while I was on my mission 10 years ago. And he and I are incredible friends, just wanted to give that. And uh, he's actually spent a lot of time helping other people through addictions. And an important aspect of all this real quick is obviously reframing how you view the past. And, and, and it's important to know whatever you've gone through in the past, it can and should be changed in how you feel and see it. But I just wanted to read this real quick, because I think this is kind of highlights to some degree, a challenge about your questions. This is a note that we found from my, and I literally just got this texted to me a couple days ago. This was a text or a, a letter written from my grandpa to my brother. It's super short. But he says, you are a wonderful man, but you must always remember that it is not what you are today that matters. It is what you want in your heart to become. Uh, life is a process of striving every day to live better. And so I think rather than overemphasizing who you are today, and this is really one of the big problems, actually. Daniel Gilbert's found this in his research. And I'll just quickly go back to what I said. Daniel Gilbert, who's been studying personality development over time, he'll, he'll ask people if they're the same person they were 10 years ago. And if I could ask you guys that same question, if you really thought about it, my guess is you're quite different in many elements than who, you, the, how you saw the world. What was your priorities? What were you focused on? What were your goals? What were your habits? My guess is that you guys are quite different from who you were 10 years ago. For sure. Again. What he says, though, is that most people undervalue who they think they're going to be in the future. As he says, human beings are works in progress that mistakenly think they're finished. And so we have a tendency as people to think that who we are today is who we're pretty much going to be. The truth is your future self is going to be completely different, especially if you're someone actively seeking change, especially if you're someone who's actually conceptualizing a future self and going for that and having transformational experiences, learning, growing. Anyone listening to this podcast. You know, if you're going to actually go from someone not making much money to making good money to building a future, you're going to have to go through a lot of change. (laughs) And so your future self is going to be very different from your current self. As a result, you should probably be a a little less tight in how you define your current self. Um, If you're holding your current identity so tightly that you think that you're very clear on who you absolutely are today, that's probably going to stunt and limit your growth in the future. It's a lot more powerful to define your future self, the person you want to be, with the attributes. And by the way, the number one deathbed regret, and there's a lot of research behind this, is that people didn't have the courage to be who they wanted to be, but instead they lived up to the expectations of those around them. That's actually one of the big challenges is Hmm. that because you've been someone in the past, you can feel the need, and there's a psychological need for this, to be consistent with how people expect to see you. But if you have someone in the future, the person you genuinely want to be, You know, then that that's the person you've got to start striving to be. Now that's going to take courage to be that person because I would say another way to describe personality is honestly uh, comfort zone. You know, your personality in in a lot of ways is just your comfort zone. It's what you're comfortable doing. To do something different would create some form of uncertainty, and your brain really likes certainty. And so when you step into, but you, what's interesting is you can't actually make choices and you can't change things without dealing with uncertainty. That's why it takes faith and courage and etc to build confidence and to move forward but so you so more important than who you are today I would say is this defining your future self but then the next step because identity is really shaped through stories is you've got to then start telling people you know you got to be open and honest about who you want to be in, in the various areas of your life you know if you're for me for example I remember telling my wife like I really am going to start doing this writing thing and I started telling other people about it And you've got to tell people about your goals. Like most people, their identity narrative or their story is usually based on the past, or it's really based on some form of labels that they've given themselves. I'm this person. I'm X, or these are the, these, this is who I am from the past. It's a lot more powerful if your identity narrative, the, the person you describe yourself to be is more targeted towards the future. You're not that person yet. You're not your future self yet, but that's what you're going for. Um, that's who you're striving to be. What's really powerful about that is, is it, It clarifies your current identity. It also clarifies your environment and your relationships because now people know what you're going for, and you can kind of be more held accountable to who you're trying to be, and you can also get support versus maybe trying to do it all in your head through willpower.
1: Yeah, it's kind of interesting. Excuse me in the in the explanation of uh, willpower doesn't work, and then personality is impermanent. You you have this line that says science proves you're going to change throughout your life. You might as well be intentional about that change. How can somebody I know you just gave a couple examples, but how can somebody be intentional about that change, whether it's to change a habit or to overcome some of those experiences that might have been traumatic in the past or to change the way they view the world going forward?
0: Yeah, I think the thing about decision making is, is that we can get better and better at doing it. You know, you can get better at, there's probably several loose ends in all of our lives of places we haven't yet made a decision whether it's about our health whether it's about our relationship with our kids or yeah or, or about businesses there's several non-decisions floating in our lives um that we're like half decided on but half holding on to and so you you've got to get better at actually choosing something and, and then increasing your commitment to that thing so like desire as an example we all have preferences you know i have a preference to You know, eat chips and do various things, go home and just sit on the couch. Like, we all have preferences. The thing is, though, is the preferences you have now are different from the preferences you had in the past. And the preferences of your future self are different than than the preferences you have now. And so it's, it's, it's important for decision making. And there's a lot of research on this that you make decisions based on what your future self would prefer. I mean, it makes a lot of sense. Like, if you're, if your future self is a financially successful person, then you've got to stop preferring to just kick it on Facebook all day, right? For whoever's listening. So, like, I think I think making decisions and eliminating options from a decision fatigue standpoint really matter, like choosing a few things to go big on and and also recognizing that it's OK if you don't want it now, because like obviously, again, we have preferences like we have certain desires, but you can also want to want something like, you know, your future self, if your future self has something you may you may want to have that. But admittedly, like you also kind of don't really want it and you can train your desires, you know, you can train your preferences you can fuel that and you can fuel commitment. And so just a few kind of tangible examples on how to do that. Obviously, you would need to frame it. You know, you have to actually, to some degree, visualize it, I would say write about it. I think daily journaling is crucial. You know, I journal every morning. But I I think that morning journaling, where you're writing about your future self, where you're writing about your goals, and then you're writing about who you need to be today to do that is actually how you live intentionally. If you wake up every day and just jump into your cell phone, and if you just, you know, these are just environmental addictions. Essentially, you're waking up and you're being reactive to your environment. That's actually how you live subconsciously on a daily basis. And if you're living subconsciously, which is basically on autopilot, you're just being who you were yesterday. You're just being what your environment and your roles have shaped you to be. If you're waking up, giving yourself space to think about your goals and thinking about what can I actively do today to be that person The goal is, is that you're actually acting towards your future self on a daily basis, which means you're making progress in that direction and being intentional, you know, being conscious, being intentional. Those are just other words for being deliberate or being thoughtful or just moving in a goal directed direction. And that's really what you want to be doing on a daily basis. I mean, if you're being courageous and if you're, you don't have to be courageous 24 seven, but if you're doing acts of courage towards your goals, or if you're just being conscious of how you're showing up in the areas of your life. That's you acting towards a future self rather than acting on autopilot as your former self. You know, as just a simple, basic example. You know, I'm at my office right now. I'm going to drive home and I'm going to show up one way or another when I get home to my crazy house with five kids. I can just show up as I always show up or I can like think about it and say, how do I want to show up for each of my kids? Doesn't need to take a long time, but like a small amount of thoughtful visualization and just a little bit of this is how I want to do it. I mean, yesterday, just as an example, like I was exhausted and my eight-year-old son wanted to swim with me. And he was just like, you know, it's, it's hot here, you know, in Florida, like it's like 85 degrees, Uh maybe even hotter. So like we have a pool and we can honestly swim all almost all year. You know, he, w- I was fried and he was like, let's swim. And he was just really getting me to do it. And I was thinking, you know, w- what would I be more proud of just sitting and saying no to him or doing it, you know? And so it's like, I think thinking about who you want to be, it's easy to just coast through your day and your various roles. And so intentionality is really about thinking about who you'd ultimately want to be and then being that person. And I think that telling people about your goals and telling people who you want gets not only encouragement, but it gets you support. You need support in being your future self because you can't do it alone. And also you want your environment to support who you're trying to be. I would also point to investing in your goals. Investing money into your goals is one of the biggest ways to create commitment. You know, I mean, as an entrepreneur, you obviously have to invest money into your ideas, your goals, but investment, there's so much research on the idea that investment creates commitment. I mean, that's really what led me to growing as a writer is when I began investing in courses, learning how to write viral headlines, like investing in, you know, mentorships, investing in people to help me learn how to write book proposals. I mean, there's so many things that when you invest in something, you really start to identify with it. And that's what you want to do. You want to invest in your future self. You know, you want to invest in the person you want to become, you know? And so Investments are a really smart way to get yourself increasingly committed towards a goal. Telling people about it gets you committed, writing about it, acting towards it. All of those things get your, get your confidence up, but also get your motivation up. And so uh, those are just a few things I would suggest.
2: No, it's great. It's, it's great. I really liked it. And, and, and Jace heard you speak. That's why we had you on or reached out to you to hope that you could be on. So r- really great. Um, really great stuff. Really appreciate it. Where can people find you and, and learn more about you and, and buy your book? you can
0: kind of buy the book anywhere. It's, you know, Amazon, Audible, Kindle, this book's with Penguin Random House. And so when bookstores are open, it'll be in bookstores again, but uh, it's just anywhere, you know, and uh, my website's benjaminhardy.com. Obviously lots of blog posts and stuff there for anyone who buys personalities and permanent, we give away three free online courses. There's an expanded course on the book. There's a journal mastery course that is a great course on journaling over 10,000 people have bought that course. And then I also have a blogging course, uh, which I've, sold for a thousand you know thousand dollars it's actually a live event at a mastermind called Genius Network I I was requested to teach all my blogging strategies there one day and that's like a six hour course that we give away for free too so there's a lot of free good, goodies we give away for people who buy the book that's just at benjaminhardy.com but ultimately awesome. in my opinion the book's really the thing that
2: matters the most awesome well thank you Dr. Hardy and again just in review he's he's author of Willpower Doesn't Work and Personality Isn't Permanent which is coming out soon here so thanks again for coming on the show we really appreciate it great insight and and input in, into all of this. I've, I've learned a ton. So thank you. Thank you so much for coming on.
0: i uh, happy to, gentlemen. My, my pleasure.
1: Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Millionaires Unveiled podcast with Clark Sheffield and Chase Mantinson. For more stories, investment opportunities, and information, check out our website at millionairesunveiled.com. See you next time when you'll hear from another everyday millionaire.